Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today, myself and Riki Hayashi, we're going back into the world of Star Wars Rebels. We're talking about Star Wars Rebels Season 4, Episodes 3 and 4, In the Name of the Rebellion. All that more after a commercial break, we have no control over. Welcome back. This is Matthew. I'm your host. As I said, I'm joined by Riki Hayashi. Riki, how are we doing tonight? This is not my favorite episode of Rebels. Surprising for okay. all of you okay. listening. Uh, for those of you who are uh, newerly, newerly tuning in, who are new to tuning in, it has become a rather regular tradition that every episode Riki discovers is his favorite. Yeah. Uh, and they certainly have been getting better and better. But uh, th- these are some things in this episode I don't love, some things I really, really do love. But most of some really great questions I'm looking forward to diving into with you, Riki. Let me make a quick programming note, though, as well. I'm about to set out on a two-week road trip. Uh, a family friend passed away, and I have a work trip to make, and so I'm combining all of that into one. I'm going to try to keep recording and podcast editing from the road. Uh, it is possible, though, we're going to take a short break. I do have at least one episode in the can that's going to go live a week from when you hear this one. It won't be about Rebels. Uh, there's some other possible content that will go up there as well. We will be getting back to Rebels. The commitment is we're going to finish Rebels before the Ahsoka show comes out. So there might be one week that we miss, for which I'll apologize. But don't worry, uh, Rebels is going to continue. We're just going to sprinkle some other stuff in there throughout. Um, so with that, uh, let me kind of give a quick summary of the episode for those who haven't either haven't seen it in a while or just following along just with us. Ezra, Kanan, and Sabine arrive on Yavin 4 to join the main group of the Rebel Alliance. Hera's squadron also arrives, having barely survived an Imperial ambush, which Bail Organa attributes to an Imperial communications relay on Jalindi. A droid projects a hologram of Saw Gerrera, who mocks Mon Mothma for her unwillingness to go to any lengths to defeat the Empire. And, Mon- and Mothma angrily responds, refusing to stoop to the violence and extremism committed by Gerrera's cell. She sends the ghost crew on a mission to intercept the relay's transmissions. Sabine inadvertently connects them to the main channel on an approaching light cruiser, forcing Ezra to impersonate an Imperial officer. Unfortunately, it's the very officer who's commanding the cruiser, Brom Titus. Sabine calls for Hera to pick them up as they have been seen. Before she can do so, a U-wing, piloted by Guerrero, arrives, picks up Ezra and Sabine, then bombs the relay dish, destroying it and the cruiser. Hera demands Guerrera transfer Ezra and Sabine, but he jumps into hyperspace. Guerrera convinces Ezra and Sabine to aid him in discovering the secret weapon he's convinced the Empire is working on. They board an Imperial cargo shuttle disguised as a regular civilian spacecraft and discover a group of prison engineers from the planet Coruscant who are being shipped to Jeddah for an apparent project. Guerrera insists that, he has, that this is more evidence of a secret weapon. They also find a giant kyber crystal, which they plan to haul out of there with the prisoners. Chopper attempts to get the prisoners out of harm's way by an escape pod, though they're stopped by the Empire. When the plans to get the crystal go off, off the ship fail, Guerrero blasts it so that he will explode. He calls two tubes to pick him up, and Ezra and Sabine are rescued by the ghost crew after destroying a massive Star Destroyer. The engineers decide they want to join the rebel cause, and they head back to Yavin 4. Uh, I think it's a good summary, but it does leave out a couple of major plot points. Namely, that there's a running conflict between the Rebels and Saw about this concept of, like, how, you know, how dirty of a war do you fight? What are your goals? 
And it includes at times when Saw is focused much more on stopping this secret weapon that he is so obsessed about, that he's more interested in that than freeing the prisoners. Our heroes disagree. And as has become almost kind of de rigueur, every time they hang out with Saw, Saw at one point turns his guns on them, stunning them, as he points out, not killing them, but stunning them so that he can do what he thinks he needs to do and kind of willing to go against them to do what he thinks is needed. So, Ricky, what do you think of these episodes? They're not your favorite, but I don't know if that means that you don't love them or they're just not as good as the heights we've achieved. What's your thoughts? Sure. I mean, the the running joke here that every episode is my favorite, I think, speaks to the high quality that Star Wars Rebels maintains throughout the show. Uh-huh. And I don't think that this this is a bad episode by any means, but there are just a couple of things that didn't sit right with me, but it does continue to tell this wonderful story of the early days of the Rebellion and mm-hmm. the differences between... Mon Mothma and Saw Gerrera, which we now are also getting to see play out more in the live-action show Andor. So there's a lot of great connections with larger Star Wars here that I do love. But, I mean, let's just um, start with, I think, Saw Gerrera, right? Mm -hmm. This this character is, is on the side of the Rebels, ostensibly, but... In a lot of ways, what would you call him? Uh, an anti-hero? An anti-villain? I don't even know what, what the classification is. So here's, I think, the meat of the discussion of these episodes, because I think my my view of him has changed rather dramatically. And the question I was going to ask you, and, and maybe this is sort of our way of getting into it, is, is he right? Because I think the first time that I saw these these episodes, I thought he was a foil. And an anti-hero, I think, is a good term. But it's the sort of, a lot of times when you have a character who's willing to do things that everyone around them thinks are bad for what they think are good reasons, the writers will often introduce a character who goes even further. And that's a way for our hero to say, no, 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 I'm not willing to go that far. And I think that was Saw Gerrera in a lot of this stuff, certainly in Rogue One. I think, like, if you've seen Mask of the Phantasm, that's what the Phantasm does for Batman. It's what um, the Punisher is for Daredevil, especially in that Netflix series. And at the time I watched it, that's ver- I was very much on the side of the Rebels and of Mon Mothma and of, no, this is the Rebellion. Like, we're supposed to be doing things the right way. And Saw is the proof of the dark side and that... You know, if you hate your enemy that much that you are going to turn against them, you're going to turn into them, and you're not going to think about the prisoners and stuff like that. Watching it tonight, I realized how much I have changed on some of those questions. And part of that is because of, you know, and again, I want to keep this about Star Wars, but this is obviously reflecting issues in our own larger world. I think my own attitudes, I used to be very much a like, you know, yeah, we have to never use the methods of, you know, we always have to go go high when they go low and that kind of stuff. And I think I've come to realize how much that's a trap in our own world and how much sometimes trying to fight with your arm tied behind your back um, just kind of guarantees you lose. And I think Andor, though, more than anything, really opened my eyes to... The idea that you can have a rebellion that has its hands clean. You know, you can have an incredible character like Luthen who 
I disagree with. I think he's a terrible person. I think the way he's willing to sacrifice the lives of others to advance the rebellion without their consent is deplorable. And I don't think the rebellion wins if he doesn't do that. And in the first of these two episodes, that's where, to me, Saw is. And I, I do think there's an interesting di- di- dynamic, and I don't think you're doing this by any means, but because language you have to use, I know, is very different, and I, I haven't even heard your thoughts on this, but that a lot of people I know defend Luthen and are very against Saw. And I do think that, that's, that that raises some eyebrows for me about what's the difference between these two characters, and the race, I think, is a part of it. Um, my point being, at least in the first episode, where he's being very critical of Mon and saying, we have to fight the real fight, we can't keep hiding, I think I'm very much on his side, and I think he's pointing out that Mon is wrong. And I think Andor very much agrees with that, especially, you know, the show ending with Mon Mothma um, compromising her own values to some extent uh, by the end of it and and the success of Luthen. By the time we get to the second episode and some of the extremes that Saw goes to, within the course of the show, I think it's pretty clear that Saw has gone, well, even then... From the perspective of the rebels, he doesn't want to rescue the prisoners. He doesn't want to help Ezra. It feels like he's wrong, except we, the audience, know that he's right. There is this super weapon out there that's being built. He's the only one who cares. He's the only one who wants to look for it. And a part of me kind of wonders if he's not pushing on that so much, do we ever get to Rogue One and then to to everything else that happens? Um there's a whole meta factor as well about how Saw's written, but I'll kind of stop there and, and, and pause and let you respond. Um, am I being an apologist for, for terrorism? Am I making some points you agree with? What's, where, where do you fall? Oh, I mean, that's a lot of stuff. I should have... Yeah, been, sorry, I dumped a whole monologue I should have been you. taking more notes. But, um, <laughs> I mean, the first thing that comes to mind with an episode like this and a discussion like this is probably one of the best hours of television from a different franchise and that is the star trek deep space nine episode in the yes. pale moonlight yep. when captain cisco compromises his values and in some fan eyes the values of gene roddenberry and the entire franchise like there's a right. lot of controversy about that for in those order, who don't know in order to win a war yeah for those who don't know quickly basically um he works with garrick and uh, who winds up assassinating an innocent senator in order Romulan to bring... Romulan senator. A, yeah, a Romulan senator, but someone who's not like their enemy because they're trying to convince that, that the, 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 the people that senator is from, the Romulans, to join them in the war. Yeah. And, and it's about Cisco realizing he didn't quite know Garrick was going to do that, but on some level he probably did, and he's okay with it. And what I love about that is that it puts, it puts all the eggs in one basket, of Captain mm-hmm. Cisco, of his personal morality and his right. internal monologue and debate. And what I don't like about this episode, or, or maybe just like the whole idea of, of the rebellion, is that it puts it into two different characters, Mon Mothma mm. and Saw Gerrera. And it's clear, like, everything that the writers do and that the franchise does, we're meant to, to choose Mon Mothma. And I, I don't think, like, Saw Gerrera... Saul Guerrero is a tragic figure, but I don't right. find him to be sympathetic, unfortunately. Well, I think that's the meta point I was going to make, which is, and again, this is something I've kind of seen more, because I think the first time I watched it, I did completely identify with Mon Mothma in this. The second time, I'm 100% both sympathetic to and rooting for Saul, and I think Mothma's wrong. 
but I think you're right. And it, there's a pattern that I've noticed, and a lot of great uh, content creators have pointed this out. It's not something I came up on my own. That a lot of times, what a writer will do is they will introduce a character who who critiques our hero and points out something that our hero might be missing. But then they'll eventually have that person go so extreme that you can't help but root against them, even when sometimes their extremism doesn't make sense. And I think like they do this with Magneto a lot. They do that with Killmonger in Black Panther. Um, I think there's a number of examples where y- you spend a lot of the movie thinking, wait a minute, this villain has a point until the villain's like, OK, but because of that, I therefore have to kill everybody who disagrees with me. And you're like, OK, well, fine. So I can't agree with you anymore. And I, I, I kind of, that's kind of how I feel the writer's we're doing that here. The kind of what you're saying that like they really want it to make it clear you're not supposed to uh, agree with Saw. The the problem I have in, with this episode as a capsule in, mm-hmm. in doing that is that we've already done that with Saw in the yeah. previous I- encounter on Geonosis, and Ezra even mentions that he's like, oh yeah, like last time we ran into Saw, he he was pretty bad. But now maybe he's got a point. And I, I don't like Ezra's wavering on this. Um, mm-hmm. It seems based, I mean, for his character, it is based on he really wants to help Lothal. And he's upset that Mon Mothma and the rest of the rebels aren't willing to do that yet. And he's like, yeah. maybe we should just do it. Maybe we should talk to Saw and just do it and go help Lothal. And I, I just don't, for me, I didn't buy that as a moment for Ezra. That he would have mm-hmm. seen what Saw did previously and further, like, hear more stories. Like, they mention in this episode that Saw has killed civilians trying right. to get at the Empire. That he has killed prisoners. You know, he doesn't take prisoners. He kills Imperial prisoners. And those, like, all of that, for me, is just like, nah, like, that's not right. Mm-hmm. And for Ezra to waver, especially after what he's been through with, you know, like Maul and Kanan and the dark side and touching that, I, I just didn't buy that as a character mm. moment. And it seems like done for the sake of the plot, as That's you said, fair. to make Saw seem like pl- a yeah. plausible alternative. I guess I did believe it because I thought they introduced something really interesting, which again, that little plot summary we had didn't mention. The whole point is that everyone is coming together to join the Rebel Alliance. And mm-hmm. in theory, what Mon is kind of going for is... This is no longer about the struggle on your individual world. This is now about our larger fight against the Empire. And if we defeat the Empire, all of our worlds are better. And Ezra's not there yet. Ezra still, he wants to go and join up with them so that they'll go help him and Ryder liberate Lothal. And I I guess that's where, for me, I, I, I agree with you it's a stretch. And I think it is... Like, I like a lot of the questions this episode is raising, but I kind of have mm-hmm. to squint at it because I think there's some... Ba- I, I think, like I said, with some of those other properties, the writer started to make really good points, but then got afraid of them. Yeah. And in some ways, I think that's what Andor is so good is that it doesn't do that. But I think they at least established that Ezra is still... His focus is still rescuing Lethal. And the fact that he got to the rebellion and Mon Motha wasn't saying, yep, Lethal's next on our list... She was kind of saying, you've got to be patient. you got to look at the bigger picture. I think you're right. It doesn't fully justify it. But that, at least for me, gives a window of where there'd be some wiggle room from Ezra that maybe he's a little disillusioned with this larger rebellion. Yeah, I I understand that. But mm-hmm. again, I think it's done in this episode, like in the context of this episode, 
and for for me personally like stuff like this about characters where they seem to make a a small or large change in what i believe their character to be for the sake uh-huh. of a plot of an episode like it it bothers me a little because That's we fair. also this follows on the um the previous two episodes the beginning of season 4 where the ghost crew went to mandalore to help Sabine's family, right? right, fight this civil war in Mandalore that has, I mean, I, I'm going to say it has nothing to do with the rebellion. Yeah, the Mandalore fair. is technically not a part of the rebellion. Like, it is a kind of a personal favor to Sabine and her family that they went to do this, which is mm-hmm. good for these characters, for the whole found family aspect. But, like, right. if you analyze it that way, it's very inconsistent to be like, well, you just got back from Mandalore, and now you're demanding that the Rebellion do something for you? Yeah, that's fair. Well, let me ask, so I, the question the question that I want to talk about then is, and, and but I'm not, I don't know if we can talk about it, is in his critiques of Mon and how she is fighting the war and trying to fight the war, do you think he makes good good points, and or are you able to kind of separate the 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 kind of extremes that they show him go to from the kind of critique he's raising from Mon Mothma? I don't think he makes good points. Um, mm. For me, like personally, you know, we are two non-combatants who have never, thankfully, had to be in a war or to kill anyone, yep. but. Uh, to me personally, like killing is very antithetical, and we never know what would happen in a in a true life or death combat situation. But just ki- kind of on general principles, I'm I'm standing by like I'm not going to kill anyone else, like in my personal life. Yeah. Now, how do you translate that to fictional war? Right? Obviously, you have to, and we've had this discussion in the past, but. I believe, like, one of the beautiful things about Star Wars as as this work of fiction and the way that they have constructed the Rebellion is that it hinges upon hope and the idea Mm -hmm. that these forces, these rebel forces, can never stand against the Imperial Imperial Navy on their own in in, like, a military sense. And right. that, that plays out through all the movies. Like, they just don't stand a chance. Like, Star Destroyers are more powerful than Mon Calamari Cruisers, and there are far more of them, right? Right. So, the only way for the Rebellion to win is to get kind of the rank-and-file citizens of the Empire to reject the Empire, to inspire the people through hope. And that happened, and that's why Mon Mothma stands by these principles and says mm-hmm. the only way we can win this is if the people reject the Empire and choose us. It's not by destroying all of their ships. Right. It is by getting the people who are fighting on the ships to put down their weapons or, or their families to say, what the heck are you doing? Like, you can't fight for the Empire anymore. Like, right. And, and one of the critical moments is in A New Hope when the Death Star destroys Alderaan, right? I think that is a catalyzing moment in the galaxy where the, the rank-and-file citizens who see this news or hear about it and, and probably get some weird sanitized version through the Imperial Network and, and go, what, what is going on? Like, this isn't right. what I signed up for. This shouldn't be what our government does. And, and so I, I think the combination of 
the the Death Star destroying Alderaan moment combined mm-hmm. with the way Mon Mothma leads and inspires people show the two different aspects of this war that that really like realistically cannot be fought in a military right. sense. I guess I hear what you're saying, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. But I guess to me, I'm curious why you love Andor so much then. Because to me, Andor is very much a rejection of that. Not not a rejection of it, but of a... And even Rogue One, to some extent, is a... Yes, there is that. And maybe even Mon can tell herself that she's keeping her hands clean. But there are other people getting their hands dirty in order to make it possible for her to make, get those messages out. You know? And... Uh, like I, I, to me, what Andor does that is so powerful, and I think Rogue One does this as well, is kind of say, like, without Cassian Andor shooting an unarmed man who's trying to help him in the back and murdering him, Luke Skywalker never gets to do the hopeful thing and blow up the Death Star. And without Luthen arranging to, you know, rob this Imperial outpost involving like putting a gun to the head of a child and threatening to kill the child and doing these other terrible things the word you know people never find out about mon mothma's message of hope and and of challenge and stuff like that so i'm kind of curious how do you reconcile that with andor which at least to me is so much about even mon mothma had to make these horrible compromises and stuff like that well because the same reason i love uh, in the pale moonlight because mm-hmm. it is it is good complex storytelling Right. And it is good characterization of these people who do these things. And mm-hmm. I, I think that it's written well in a way that we understand why they do these things, mm-hmm. but also with an understanding and a, a nod that we can't, we can't necessarily honor them or that we can't uh, call them heroes. Right. I think that's the best story storytelling for these types of stories is when we watch it and go, wow, I really love this. But, you know, like Luthen and Andor, like, these aren't heroes. These aren't mm. the people that at the end of this conflict, you know, Mon Mothma becomes, uh, I guess, Chancellor is still the position mm-hmm. of the New Republic, right? She's a hero. Leia Organa becomes a senator. But they don't they don't speak of Luthen and Andor because those weren't written yet. But but right. you know what I mean? Like they're not going to. Like, they certainly don't speak of Saw Gerrera. Yeah, Saw like Saw Gerrera, I, I think is probably written into the history books as a villain, as someone who, you know, mm-hmm. was fighting against the Empire but did it did it quote unquote wrong. See, I, I guess to me that's my point. Is I feel like that's that to me feels like the way Malcolm X is remembered, at, not mm. as a hero. I mean, although that's been changed, you know, to me that I. I and again, this is not trying to make a commentary on the actual Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, but just on the way history remembers those two very much as Martin Luther King good, Malcolm X bad, when I think the reality is that the two of them were much more similar and both much more nuanced than people want to think. Um, and a lot of people, I think, have been changing on that. And I think that there, there's all those kind of things are, are, are interconnected. I, I guess to me, like I, th- I think you're right that I think that history will remember Mon Mothma as a hero but Andor and Luthen and Saw Gerrera as as not, and that maybe the history will claim that the rebellion would have been better without them. And, and I feel like I, I at least have come around the perspective of that 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 the whole point of something like Andor and Rogue One and even this a bit a little bit, though I think it, it chickens out, is to critique that some, is to say mm-hmm. like yeah, no one likes what Saw Gerrera is doing, 
I don't know if, if without Saw Guerrero pushing this forward, anyone ever finds out about the Death Star to begin with. Because he seems to be the only one who cares that this is all happening. Well, so like to go back to the whole Mon Mothma Luthan thing, mm-hmm. I, I can imagine a scene where she has to like publicly condemn his actions, right? At some right. point. And yet, I assume he's going to die because he's not a part of the rebellion that we see later right. on. And yet, um, you know, like a scene where she visits his grave or something and says, I couldn't have done this without you or something like that. But oh, it's like, God, that'd be you know, so like, powerful. She, she understands his importance and yeah. can, but cannot, cannot publicly acknowledge it, I think is yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I could see that being really powerful. I would love to see that. And as for Saw, I, I just, I don't, I don't think he's been written and or portrayed with very much subtlety so it it Mm -hmm. could have been i think it could have been better like this character could have been written in a more subtle way i just think they didn't choose to i and that's that's a decision they made and that's a it's a critique i will make about like the the whole debate between these two and I think that's fair. And I think there's an extent to which I'm probably headcanoning it to some extent. Because when I, what I think I do with characters like him and Magneto and Killmonger, where I think they make really interesting points, and then they just kind of go to an extreme that I don't think makes sense, and where I think the writer yeah. just did it to, is I'm kind of like, okay, well, what if we just kind of ignore the dumb things the writer had them do in the last half and, and just talk about the points they're making? Um, but you're right. I think that it's, on some extent, we also do have to take the text as it's written and that that's not what happens, you know? And and it's it's a it's a puzzlement back and forth. And I think that's that is probably the distinction of why I love Andor and why mm-hmm. I love In the Pale Moonlight is that they were written in a much more ambiguous way, where yes. we can come out of it and go, oh, are they kind of heroes still? I'm not yeah. sure. I didn't like what they did, but dang. Whereas like Saw Gerrera is just like, yo, chill out. Yeah. And like I think this is it. This is going to be a Star Trek comment a bit, but it ties in a lot. I've always thought that in many ways, Next Generation and Deep Space Nine are mirrors of each other. Oh, because yes. one of the central ideas of, of Next Generation, and Picard says this, I think he actually says this in in uh, one of the movies in First Contact. He may have said it, no, actually he does say it in the show, that's correct. I, th- I don't know. Either way, writers can tell me which way it is. But he says, and I think this is kind of a central ethos of the show, it is possible to do everything right and still lose. It is mm-hmm. possible to do the right thing and still get the wrong outcome. In the Pale Moonlight, and this is about, is it possible to do the wrong thing and get the good outcome come out? You know, yeah. and it, it's that flip side of, and, and, and so therefore, and I think this is exactly the question that Cisco in Pale Moonlight quite literally wrestles with. And I think that uh, it, we talked about in Bloodline, Leia wrestles with this question as well. If it leads to the result that is good, does that make it okay? Mm-hmm. And I this think episode here... of the Star Trek Universe podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually a podcast that exists. Check it out. It's on the Stranded Panda Network. Yeah. Um, because I'll just the one thing I'll say about this, and this kind of thing kind of ties, I, I think in many ways that's one of the central ethoses of all of Star Wars was always, you know, if you act in a bad way for a good reason. Is that okay? You know, and, mm-hmm. and Star Wars has always said, no, that's the path to the dark side. That you can be so mad at the, at, you can love your mother so much and be so mad at the people who killed her 
that you wind up slaughtering women and I mean, the, the women's part kind of gendered, but you know, whatever. You wind up slaughtering innocents who who didn't harm your mother because they're part of the same group as her, or that you wind up, you know, being so convinced that you know what is best for the galaxy, that you know the best way, that you're willing to fight anybody who stands in your way, whatever. And I think that that until these shows, Star Wars has always been very strictly on that side of. It is absolute. Once you start doing things out of hate, out of anger, out of fear, forever will it dominate your destiny, to quote yeah, Yoda. Yeah. And I think and these shows, and I think Rebels is starting it, but you're right. I think Andor and, and Rogue One go much further, are starting to play with that. It's starting to say, can you take a couple of steps towards the darkness, especially if you're not a Jedi, and, and, and not have it consume you? And that's, that's exactly right, Matthew, that the reason like you and I fall upon like talking about Star Trek to kind mm -hmm. of conceptualize this morality is because they have such a longer history of, of doing this. Yeah, Of, of helping us understand it in a more subtle way than Star Wars has. And, and Star Wars is just starting to do that. I think Andor was so good for that. Yeah. And I think there were hints of this, right, in the sequel trilogy, in, mm -hmm. in The Last Jedi, and the way that uh, Rey and Ben Solo connected and kind of seemed to embrace a little bit more of each other. Right. And Rey seemed to use anger more than past Jedi characters had. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, even even in this Rebels, like, we, we had a whole discussion about, you know, is Ezra wrong to, you know, push that walker over the edge or actually yeah. mind control the person to make him do it. But even if you think that, even if you think he is, Ezra is not a Sith now. He used, he went to the dark side a little bit and he came back. Mm -hmm. We've seen Kanan act out of anger, purely out of anger, out of emotion, out of attachment. And he hasn't even come close to the dark side the way Ezra has. So, yeah, I, I think, I, I, yeah, these episodes are so frustrating because like, there's so much good potential there. And I think the writers just chicken out some. So, yeah, I get why these are good episodes, but they're not your favorite. And I think I, I would put in the same category. It's unfortunate. I think Saw Gerrera could have been a much more interesting character. And mm -hmm. they just always seemed afraid to utilize him in, in, a, in a broader way. And, yeah. did, and did kind of pigeonhole him into this, like, nah, you're the extremist terrorist version mm -hmm. of the Rebels. Yeah. And, and as, as I said earlier, like, his character is so tragic because he mentions... In these episodes, uh, you know, his planet that he lost everything, right? Mm -hmm. And he, he lost his sister in this fight. And that's what set him down this path of of darkness. And unfortunately, like, I don't believe that they, they have ever given the character the time to reflect on that in a more, what I feel would be a more meaningful way that would make yeah. us more sympathetic to him. I have to say, I don't know if this will be a part of Andor. Like, well... What I'm hoping for, I don't think is going to happen. I think you could get a little of it in Andor or have it be kind of a spin-off different show. I would kind of love to see a show or at least episodes of some show that spend time with the people who are not part of this Grand Rebel Alliance, you know? And it might be that Luthen is dead by now. It might be that he's kind of, him and Mon have broken ranks the way that, he, that her and... Uh, Saw did, but like I'd love to see something like to me that 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 it could be kind of a buddy cop thing almost or buddy rebels of Saw Gerrera and Sham Sandula, because I think mm. the two of them come from very different places, but they both have very similar ideals and very much kind of like I'm going to do what I think is right and and to kind of hell with everyone else. 
and yeah, I'd love to see because I think you're right. I think Saw has never he, he's gotten more and more, and I think Rogue One did him a lot better. Although again, he had to be kind of the bad guy by the end and and or by the middle and and or similar. But I'd love to see more him and Chamsendula and maybe even Luthen or or some other people like that. And and for those people who are wondering, like where does this all fit in? Like this episode, um, like the whole Rebels TV show four seasons basically leads straight into Rogue One slash A New Hope era. Like, mm-hmm. the, the last, the ending of this series is probably, I don't know, at most months preceding Rogue One, and, and yeah. possibly even closer. So yeah. the, the Saw Gerrera that you see end up at Rogue One, like, we're basically there at this point in Season 4. And yeah. so I don't recall if he appears anymore in the show, but, you know, they mentioned Jeddah, which is where mm-hmm. the Kyber Crystal comes from, and that's where he is based out of. Uh, um, by the point of Rogue One and he's just hanging out there probably trying to find out what the Empire is doing yeah I I mean I think it's because of the what we him moving to Jeddah is in part result of what happens in these episodes and that's kind of maybe a way to kind of shift away and kind of talk about some other things from the episodes I just got chills seeing that we were on uh, Yavin you know seeing Mm -hmm. that base and seeing like they animated it beautifully and we didn't really spend too much time, but just, and then going into that room with the big circular holographic oh, map absolutely. thing, you know, uh, just, I was just like, oh my God, we're here. We are like, this is the connection. There's no more like wondering how does this all tie in? Yeah. And, and this show has done a great job of leading us to this point fairly naturally, I would say, you know, and, mm-hmm. and helping us to understand how the rebellion came to be. And, and you know, Andor is going to be... I think Andor is basically at the beginning of Rebels Season 1, or about the same time. So Mm -hmm. the Mon Mothma you see in Andor is still an Imperial Senator. Um, During during the course of this series, we see her become, you know, the underground leader of the Rebellion. Right. So a a lot of interconnected pieces that are are finally, like, all coming to fit together, and it's very exciting. I, I agree. Like, seeing... Seeing stuff like that just uh, yeah. warms your heart. Similar seeing that Agent Callus is now like, clearly <laughs> with the Rebellion. That was so, Seeing him being like, oh, I'm kind of sp- like I'm working with Mon directly now. I was like, yes, yeah. that's so good. And the, the mutton chops and he mm-hmm. looks so good in that Rebel jacket. Yep. Like he's, he looks so much better than yeah. uh, he did as an Imperial. This is delightful. Very short appearance by him in this one, but yep. we'll get more of him. And I like getting to see a little more of Bail Organa. You know, I think he was always someone who I, I wished had gotten more of a part. And his character has gotten more fleshed out in shows like this. Um, I, I think the best treatment of him is in the book uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, hmm. which is it, that's all kind of set basically in the first year of Rebels um, or maybe even a little earlier because it's about Leia. It's about Bail and his wife uh, bringing her into their conspiracy. Um, and her experience with that. And it's it's just a wonderful, wonderful book. But Bale is a big, big part of that book. And you get to see how he is a part of these first early days of pulling pulling things together. Um, and that goes all the way back to, you remember when it's, um, when Padme is saying, this is how liberty dies to thunderous applause, it's Bale Organa she says that to. You know, he is, I think, in many ways, carrying on her legacy of, like, mm-hmm. being the, one of the lone voices in, in the... In the in the empire, you know, for the old republic. So, 
And, and it's so amazing that we've reached this point because you mentioned that from scene from Revenge of the Sith, there's that very famous deleted scene where Bale, Padme, and Mon Mothma and several others that we don't, I don't know that we know their names, are sitting in a room talking about forming the rebellion. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. deleted scene starred Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma. And even though she didn't make it into the movie, like here she is voicing the character. There she is on Andor playing her in yep. live action. It's, it's fantastic. We were talking last time about the connections of voice actors and live action actors. And yeah, mm-hmm. she's, she's another one. So that's been awesome. All right, we've been going for a good long while. Any other last comments or things about these episodes you wanted to bring up? Um, yeah, I got two things. First off, we got to talk about Brom Titus, mm-hmm. the Imperial commander. So this guy, in season two, there's an episode called Stealth Strike, where he was the captain, maybe even admiral at that point. I, I can't remember. On the Interdictor cruiser that mm-hmm. the rebels infiltrated and destroyed. Um, so he, he screwed up there, encountered um, Ezra Bridger. In season three, uh, Steps into Shadows, he was commanding Reclam Station, which was kind of like a scrapyard where mm-hmm. the rebels infiltrated to steal some Y-Wings that, yep. that, that are now stationed here at Yavin. And he encountered Ezra Bridger. The station was destroyed. Uh, again, he was demoted. Apparently, like every every episode he's appeared in, He's like one rank lower, which is like a little <laughs> yep. Easter egg that they put in because he keeps encountering these darn rebels and they keep blowing up his things. I think this time his ship blows up and he, he finally finally dies because we don't see him ever again. He He's the one who's who. Um, what's the name of the admiral who is always kind of Thrawn's rival? And he he commands the introductory cruiser that goes after Sato and winds up getting destroyed by him. Constantine? Constantine, yeah. Constantine kept screwing up, but kept being promoted. Yeah. And and I kind of feel like all the things that, you know, the all the things in the sector that should have gotten blamed on Constantine got blamed on this poor schmo maybe, instead. Maybe. So, you know? Yeah. And then Both the other... Have, go ahead. The other small thing I have is um, there's a very kind of bit part in this episode played by someone kind of famous in Star Trek or Star Wars circles... Um, you know, on the on the second half of the episode, the cargo ship, when they find the c- cargo hold with the kyber crystal, there mm-hmm. are some uh, special stormtroopers. I'm not even sure which version these are supposed to be, like death troopers or purge troopers, but they're like stormtroopers in darker armor, right? Mm-hmm. And the commander of those stormtroopers, the character name is just DTF16, but is played by Jennifer Hale who was on, was the voice actress in the Clone Wars for Ayla Secura, one of the Jedi. Oh, yeah, of course. And then in the video game, Knights of the Old Republic voiced Bastilla Shan, who is a very famous character in, in kind of that, that oh, era nice. of stories. It's kind of so cool. So really I... interesting to have her in this episode yeah, as the Stormtrooper commander. I love that. Well... This has been awesome, Riki. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit in the Patreon section about one other cameo we didn't discuss that is actually relevant now to an upcoming TV show. Uh, but for those who aren't part of our Patreon section, uh, let them know where they can find you and all the awesome stuff you're doing. Yeah, I'm on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash RikiPediago, R-I-K-I-P-E-D-I-A-G-O. Um, 
streaming Pokemon Go GBL battles most days of the week. And then you can also find me on Twitter on the same handle. Yeah. Awesome stuff that Riki's doing. Definitely check all that out. Of course, this is an Ethical Panda podcast. If you go to ethicalpanda.com, theethicalpanda.com, you'll find this podcast, Superhero Ethics, all the stuff we're doing. We just put an episode up on Superhero Ethics about Spider-Verse. I loved that movie so much. I have so much to say about it there. We'll probably do more episodes about it. I've been doing episodes about the Indiana Jones movies uh, over on Binger's Assemble. There, we're kind of just having fun, reviewing the movies, getting ready for the new one. But I will be doing an episode about the ethics of archaeology as portrayed in um, Indiana Jones and some questions we have about his uh, idea that uh, ancient relics belong in museums. Uh, also, how he feels about ancient relics to dating younger people, because that is also something oh he gosh. has some ethical questions about, uh, or that we have some ethical questions about. But yeah, all that will be on Superhero Ethics or Binger's Assemble. All that you can check out on the website, theethicalpanda.com. Most importantly there, though, you'll find our feedback. The ways to give us feedback, I mean, Twitter, TikTok, email, all the stuff. Please check it out. Please follow us. Please give us comments. we love to hear it. We're going to do a feedback episode as soon as I'm back from my long trip. So on behalf of myself and Riki, thank you so much for being a part of this. We have spoken. Exactly. By the way, Chopper in this this episode was like the most clear, I believe, oh, yeah. he's been in a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you like can kind of In terms of like saying. the wub-wubs, like really sounded like words. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Um, quick question. Are you okay talking about uh, casting to sit, casting that has been announced for the Ahsoka show? Oh, yeah. Of course. Okay, cool. <laughs> I wasn't right, patron- sure you were. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I, sometimes I am. All right, patrons, welcome back. We've got one quick thing to talk about because there was a cameo that happened in these episodes that we didn't get a chance to mention, but is important because it also got a net mention this character is going to be showing up in the Ahsoka show, and that is Captain Rex. We got to see Captain Rex, our clone captain, who is such a big part of the Clone Wars TV show. Uh, He shows up for just a hot second in this, and he has a nice little uh, reunion moment with Kanan, who... In earlier seasons of this show, you might remember, had some great tension between him and Kanan, uh, since uh, they have good reason to, to fear each other, given Order 66 and all that. Um, but yeah, I want to use that as a jumping off point to say, Riki, how do you feel about uh, the official word that Captain Rex, as played by uh, Tamora Morrison, is going to be in the Ahsoka TV show? First off, I actually didn't see this news. Oh, Yeah. Uh, I thought I followed all the right accounts, but um, somehow... Was this today? I think it was, like, over the weekend. Over the weekend. All right. Well, I love I love Rex as a character. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for that. Uh, especially... Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. On the Ahsoka show? So yeah. I've always kind of had questions um, about Rex and Ahsoka after the end of the Clone Wars because they escape together and right. then spend some time together. I, I don't know. Like, she's a lot older than him, technically. Mm-hmm. But he is, like, physically older. So I don't know if I necessarily ship them. It, it's something oh, interesting. That has a, okay. It's something that has occurred to me, but I don't think that they have that kind of relationship. I think it is much more of a, like, younger sibling, like, protective... Yeah, I mean, so much of so. Uh, you're right. We saw them in Clone Wars, but of course, we also saw them together in Rebels quite a lot as well. Yeah. Um, 
he was, I mean, she was like a teenager when he was her mentor. So to me, there's kind of a lot. And granted, she had, they always had this weird relationship because as a, as a Jedi, she outranked him, but he clearly had so much more experience than she did. I mean, to me, he, like, a- aging of clones is weird. But yeah, in my head, he was an adult, like 30 years older than her when she was a teenager. And so, yeah, I, I don't think I could ever ship those two. Uh, but I think they have a very powerful relationship, and I'm very interested to see where it goes in the Ahsoka show because I think... And I don't know anything about this, and if you do know, please don't tell us. But, I, you know, I don't know if it's going to be that he has survived and he is still a part of what's happening in the early years after Return of the Jedi, or if it's all going to be flashbacks to the Rebels' years, and that's where he's appearing. Uh, I just have no idea. As as for Timuera Morrison portraying him mm-hmm. in live action, that that makes things even more complicated because... Obviously, he played all of the clones in the live-action movies, and so, you know, he has earned that right, or or whatever, however you want to put it, but the act, the character of Rex, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, has always been portrayed by Dee Bradley Baker, because it has been a animation exclusive so far, so that is a very complicated lineage for this character. And as we've said previously, I, I would hope that uh, Timero would talk to and discuss with Dee Bradley you know, mm-hmm. how to play this character and like how he's different from other clones and stuff like that. Yeah, I have to imagine that would happen. I, I think you're right. It is a complicated question because in many ways I feel like this character much more belongs to Dee, Br- Dee Bradley. But A, I mean, canonically, they all look like Tamora Morrison. And yeah, you're right. I think they're all him. <laughs> I, I, except for one or two lines, I think 95% of the acting Tamora Morrison has done on screen has been as a Fett, either as Django Fett or as Boba Fett. He had like a couple of lines in the prequel movies and as a clone and then kind of he showed up as a beggar in Kenobi and that's about it. But on the other hand, A, I think D. Bradley Baker has made clear he has no interest in physical acting uh, and mm. doing beyond voice acting. B... He's white, and and Tamora Morrison is is not. He's Maori, and and I think it's been very established that the clones are in live action and most of the time portrayed as as darker skinned, as not white. Mm-hmm. Th- there's a significant question about how that's done in the Bad Batch. That's a whole other uh, question. But if you check out the hashtag unwhitewash the Bad Batch, it'll bring that up a lot. Because um, yeah, I think in a lot of cases, I think I would be like, well, why isn't the voice actor getting a chance to do this part? I think because, A, the clone nature of it, and B, also the racial aspect of it, I do think it's it's better that Tamora Morrison is this, and I, I think Tamora Morrison is a great actor. We've seen that with the Fets, but I'm really curious what he's going to be like as, as Rex, because we know Rex's voice so much, and I, I, you know, but the thing is, like, it took me about three seconds to adjust to Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka. So I think it's going to be fine because I think it's just the same thing as that. But you're right; it's it's, it's an interesting and complex question. For for me, like I, there's no there's no way like I'm going to critique them casting Tamara in this role, right? Like, yeah, that's not a thing Agreed. that's going to happen. But I, as I said, I want them to do the best job possible, and I think that has to involve D. Bradley, mm-hmm. because he, what he does with his voice and with creating characters is is kind of like beyond amazing to me. There yeah. are entire scenes of the Bad Batch 
where he's talking to himself like yeah. four four different ways and they're all different and if you close your eyes you can tell who they are and that's amazing and the friends same thing with Rex to, friends of mine who went to Star Wars Celebration said that there's like a whole section in one of the times when he was giving a speech where people just call out the oh names gosh. of clones including <laughs> some fairly obscure ones and he was yeah. he knew all of their voices you know where's and Danielle like, <laughs> yeah I think she was one of the ones who was talking about it uh, Danielle written in Star Wars has been on our podcast a bunch uh, just how amazing that was that he could still recall his voices and I my hope is that I mean I know that you know and they probably did it themselves but also Star Wars really encouraged it Lucasfilm and all them uh, for Ashley Eccleston and um Rosario Dawson to really connect over the character of mm. Ahsoka and that Ashley really worked a lot with Rosario and said like this is my understanding of the character yeah. and Rosario is very happy to hear that I have to imagine Tamora and Dee Bradley are going to do the same thing and, um, e- and even here like what Dee Bradley has done with Rex like he portrayed young Rex in the Clone Wars yeah. and then here in Rebels he's portraying old Rex and those characters are different. Like, he voices them differently as well. But, yeah. like, same enough that you feel that connection. It, yeah. I, I am, like, constantly amazed by what he does. So, no, dis- just... no disrespect to Tamara, but it, it's yeah, going it, to be a hard act to follow. I hope he does it. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I, it, as much as I love Rex, it's one reason why if Rex is an important part of the show, but as, like, for one episode, not the major, you know, not like one of the three top builds people of the, ep- of the show, I'll, I'll be happy with that. You know, I mm-hmm. think maybe because it does seem like the kind of thing that could really work for an episode or two might start to wear thin if he's like Ahsoka's constant companion for half the show. Yeah. But who knows? I well, mean, I got to. Gotta... Every time the actors have switched over like this, it's it's impressed me. So I got a follow up question for you then. Hit me. Do you because we've seen Ahsoka. Uh, travel to Luke's uh, training temple place. Uh-huh. Do you want to see that? Do you want to see fake Luke show up and for Rex to talk to fake Luke about his dad? Because yes. he was probably the closest person, other than Obi-Wan, probably the closest person to Anakin Skywalker. You know, and with Ahsoka, like the three of, the three of them. It's yeah. hard to say. I am on record as saying that I need to know... I need to see the conversation where Ahsoka learns that Anakin came back from the dark side. Um, And to me, it makes the most sense if it's Luke saying that. I think... I don't love the technology that's used to make Luke look younger, um, but I think it does work. And I'm okay with it for small parts of shows, and I think I'm totally fine with it for... um, for that scene. And if it's Ahsoka there, or if it's Rex instead, or if it's Rex telling Ahsoka, you know, all that makes sense. And while my main focus is on Ahsoka and to some extent Rex learning the truth, yeah, Luke getting to learn about his father from them would be great. Now, to me, the immediate corollary there is, but should Leia be part of the same conversation? And here's where I think the real world, real real people reality is bumps up against what I would want because ideally yeah Leia should be part of that conversation too I think the fact that Mark Hamill is still alive and that Carrie Fisher is not makes me a lot more comfortable with young Luke than I am with young Leia now maybe also because I've seen more of young Luke and and I haven't seen as much young Leia and I would be more okay with it I think 
there's a lot of calls for why don't we just have more shows about like young Luke and young Leia and young Han doing all their stuff and recast them. I, I don't want that. Um, and, and it may be that they'll do it and it'll be great. And I'm open, like, I'm not going to boycott it if they do it. I don't really want it. I don't want Luke to be a huge part of the show. I don't want Leia to be a huge part of the show. I, I think I'm more comfortable with young Luke than I am with young Leia, but I'm open to both. I, I would like that to be, though, a, a fairly minor part of the show. Mm. What about yourself? Well, I think they've written, I've, I think they've written the character Leia out of this conversation. You know, in, in the way that she interacts with the legacy of Darth Vader in Bloodlines, she soundly rejects it for most yeah, of it, right? Yeah, I think you're so right. That's fair. I, I think if someone came along and said, like, I knew your father, she'd be like, F off, you know? Yeah, not. I think she, I think Luke would be interested in young Anakin in a way that Leia would not be. That That's actually yeah. a really good point. That's a good story reason to not have Leia be there. But yeah, what about you? Do you want young Luke to be a big part of the show or a small no, part of the show? absolutely not. I need yeah. them to stop with these things. Uh, it's I was I was I was okay with it in a new hope because it was like literally that final scene and the connection like yeah. leading directly into a new hope. The the entire thing with Luke training Grogu in Mandalorian or mm-hmm. what, what was that? That was Mandalorian 2.5, right? In Book yeah. of Boba Fett. I that really turned me off. I I want them to stop doing that. That's I fair. know I know that some like AI voice replication technology firm has like mm. licensed James Earl Jones voice and that's yeah. why he sounded so much better in whatever the newest thing uh, in mm-hmm. Obi-Wan Kenobi right because they kind of like mixed mixed technology to do that and I don't want that I don't want that either yeah I I fair. think like if you are at a point where you're having to do that with actors who have either aged past, you know, this <clears throat> a certain point or have unfortunately passed away, I think it's time for us to just move on from those characters and write new characters and, and use like we're getting a new Ray movie series. Right. Yeah. Supposedly. I think that's all very fair. I think for me, the James Earl Jones stuff that like. With the technology they used, Mark Hamill was on set. Like they, like Mark Hamill was a part of creating that younger version of Luke. And James Earl Jones, like he, he went and worked with that company a lot. So those feel more connected to me than anything they would do with Carrie Fisher's images and things like that. Yes, but um, like they've done Tarkin, right? Yeah, that, that's true. And I think, but I, I, I guess what I would say is, to me, I am okay with it for this one conversation because I think it would give real final mm. closure. But then, yeah, I, I don't want it to them to keep finding. I would want that to really be the last time. And frankly, as much as I wanted that conversation, if what we instead get is that Rex, because he fought in the Battle of Endor, which, you know, there's some arguments about was he there or not or whatever. Um, but if we find out that Rex was at the Battle of Endor and he heard Luke tell the story and so he tells Ahsoka that way you don't have to get young Luke involved, but we get to see Rex and Ahsoka talking about their general, talking about Anakin and how how fondly they remember him and that he did do one last good thing before he died. That the, the Anakin that they were, like to me, I'm just getting goosebumps oh. just thinking about that, right? Yeah. So like... Yeah, it's... Well, okay. In the course of Rebels, did Ahsoka tell Rex 
that Darth Vader was Anakin Skywalker? I believe the answer is no, right? I don't think I, no, because I think she doesn't fully believe it until she actually confronts him. Yeah. So yes, I mean that conversation could go both ways, you know, and it just there, there's all sorts of ways that these conversations could happen, and I just I want I want to see some of those conversations. I think the fact that we have a number of characters who spent so much time with Anakin, and a number of characters who spent so much time with Vader. I want there to be some crossing of those beams, you know, whatever that is. Yeah, I mean, as someone who loves the character of Darth Vader, I I would love to see more of a fleshing out. Oh wow, what a, what a phrase of of the Anakin inside who is still inside of Vader. And, yeah, and, and that's one of the reasons I loved the Obi Wan show is that we got not just like the actor Hayden Christensen. But also, like, the character of Anakin Skywalker, like, literally peeking out and being very complicated. That one's a tough one for me because, again, that one even more so than the Tamora Morrison one. I just think Matt Matt Latner is so much better than Hayden Christensen ever was. And maybe that's because Hayden Christensen was badly directed. I think he was fine in Kenobi. But I think that would have, especially once I realized that it wasn't Hayden Christensen in the suit for the most part. I think if you had had it been Matt Latner voicing him instead of Hayden Christensen, I think that show was ten times better. Um, but that's that's a whole other voice actor. Conference. Matt Latner, oh, for those who don't know, is the voice actor of Vader, of uh, the voice actor of Anakin in the Clone Wars. Well, I will strongly disagree with that. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. We all get to have opinions. Uh, I'm just right. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's the whole point. Um, all right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up the Patreon. Any last things about Rex? Um, no, I, I don't even, like, you took me by surprise with that. I don't know how I missed that. <laughs> yeah, I, I only I only heard it because someone pointed it out to me, so okay. I think Danielle actually might be the one to post it on, on TikTok, so. Of course, of course. And I, I, part of it may have been I stayed off TikTok entirely until after I'd seen Spider-Verse, and then I just went a deep dive, so maybe that's where I caught it. All right, well, listeners, what do you think? As always, you know where to find us, let us know, and we have spoken. Spoken.